All right, major gift fundraiser here with Clark Van Deventer, helping you get the most money out of your list without ruining your current donor relationships. All right, we are live. Buenos dias and good morning. As always, we'll give people a few minutes to join us. Gonna um, just kind of give people a chance to see that this has gone live in their feed and uh, give people a couple of minutes just to, to join the video. I'm going to be talking about my origin story this morning, how I got started in fundraising. As I say in the description, how I got started as a broke college student, how I found crazy success, crazy amount of success in fundraising, and uh, then how that success led me to living in my in-laws garage, how I then decided to get out of fundraising and then ended up doing what I was born to do. Man, I'm having fun. And um, all right, so let me go through this. So when I was in college, all right, I remember friends coming back after summer break with a bunch of money, right? Like the whole school year, people have money, and then the, the, the bank accounts are dwindling. And then in the in the fall, people would come back to school with a bunch of money. I mean, like what you consider a bunch of money when you're a broke college student, right? So I don't even remember what they did, like factory jobs back home or tons of overtime pay. Like I, I can't even say now. All I know is that they came back to school with a bunch of money, and, and I came back with like less money than I'd had in the spring before summer break. So I just wasn't motivated by money, right? Summer after my freshman year, I got a job as a camp counselor. I barely made enough money to cover my own living expenses that summer, let alone piling any money together to sustain me in the coming school year, right? After my sophomore year of college, I landed an internship, a big internship, all right? An, inter an internship that was, for me, a dream internship, right? Whether I would take that internship, all right, it was never a question, all right? The question was how I would survive. All right. The internship came with a stipend, but not enough to cover my living expenses. But I got in my car and I drove from Indiana, where I lived and went to college, drove from Indiana to Santa Barbara, actually where I'm at now, and I just figured I figured it out. That whole summer, I was broke, right? I got to Santa Barbara and met the guy I was renting this flea bag of an apartment from. I had a $50 bill and I drove to a nearby Kmart to buy a few essentials. Okay, later that evening, I'm settling into my room and I pull out my wallet to count my money and just sort of plan for the next few days. That's when I realized that when I had gone to Kmart 
with my $50 bill and paid with my $50 bill that they had given me change for a 20. All right, that $30 difference, that was a big deal. That $30 was, it comprised all the money I had for the next few weeks until I got paid. Okay, I went back to Kmart, like I'm desperate, right? I go back to Kmart and talk to the manager, and the manager tells me to come back in the morning after she's counted the drawers. And she said that if the drawer was $30 over, she would know that I was telling the truth. Okay, so the next morning, I'm in the parking lot and waiting for the manager to unlock the front doors to open the store, okay? She looks out and she sees me waiting and she comes out and she hands me $30, okay? Like, I was so relieved. Later that summer, I'm at work one day and I'm there, but I also had this nagging thought in the back of my mind. See, I had enough gas to get back to my apartment that evening, but not enough gas to get back to work the next day. And I, and I was out of money, completely out. And this was sort of weighing on my mind, right? Not, not in the forefront, but it was there. And I was interning with a nonprofit and I was spending the entire day with a donor. I, I still remember the donors. Like I could tell you right now, I could tell you their names. And I, I ended up spending these, these donors, I ended up spending more time with them. Later, I got to know them a bit, uh, visited them at their home in Chicago, their home in Florida. But on this day in Santa Barbara, like I was just a broke college intern, right? Like later when I visited them in Chicago and in Florida, I was the the young hotshot development officer, right? Now I'm just a broke college kid with no idea how I'm gonna to get to work the next day because I don't have enough gas in my car. And at the end of our time together, the end of my day with these donors, I, I go to shake his hand just to say, hey, you know, like it was a great day. And he, there's something in his hand, right? It was a $100 bill, just a personal gratuity to thank me um, for our time together that day. And, and it was like, <laughs> it was like manna from heaven, right? That whole summer, like that whole summer, I was broke. But it was by far the best summer of my youth and completely life-changing, right? I grew up in Indiana, simple background, simple upbringing. My parents are humble people, okay? And that summer, even though I'm broke, I'm hanging out at cocktail receptions at the Four Seasons, all right? Here I am, this 19-year-old intern, and the nonprofit I'm working for has me meeting with their donors. It becomes the focus of my internship. Right, I'm spending three or four or five days a week with donors. All right, four or five or six hours each of those days, and I don't know much about fundraising at this point. I mean, I'm a kid, but 
whatever I'm doing, like whatever I'm doing, it's working. And at the end of the summer, I go back to Indiana, back to school, but the nonprofit starts flying me back to Santa Barbara for long weekends at donor events. I, I fly to West Palm Beach, Florida for a donor event. All right, I'm still broke, all right? Broke, broke, broke. And I am having the time of my life. So I test out of some classes, get the dean of the college to sign off on me overloading my course schedule, and I graduate early. I move to Santa Barbara and join the staff of this nonprofit. I fly in and land at like four in the afternoon on a Wednesday. Let's just say it's a Wednesday, four, it was four o'clock in the afternoon, somewhere in there. I just go straight to the office, all right? I guess a Wednesday, I'm not supposed to start until Monday, but like, what the heck, what else am I doing? So my boss tells me there are donors coming in the next day, and do I want to come in and take care of them? And I'm like, like, sure, like, what else am I doing? At this point in my life, I just live for work. I've got nothing else going on in my life but work, right? So what else am I doing? So I go in and I start my career the next day. I go in, I spend like six hours with these people. Okay, actually, they weren't even donors yet. They were prospective donors. But at the end of our time together, and I can remember their names, all right? I later visited these folks up in Tacoma, Washington. So at the end of our time together, they commit to a $10,000 gift. And I remember being back in the office that evening with the staff, and they're toasting me, and there was this celebratory feel in the air, and it was awesome. I mean, it's been a lot of years ago now, a lot of water under that bridge, but man. I wish I could go back to that moment, right? Like, it was just a special moment. It was a special time in my life. And over the next several years, I had a, like, I had a lot of those moments. It was a special time in my life. Um, I met my future wife. We got married. My boss emceed our wedding reception at the Four Seasons, which was attended by many of the donors I worked with. The gifts got bigger, right? $20,000, $100,000, a quarter of a million, half a million, a million. I was successful and I had everything I wanted. I had my dream job. I'm like 26, 27 years old now. And I'm making more money than I think I think my dad made any single year of his life. I'm 26, 27 years old. There was just one problem, all right? It was a big one. I didn't want it anymore. <laughs> so guess what I did? Right, you know, right? I quit. And people thought, like they really thought I was crazy, okay? Some people were even mad at me. Like they were literally mad at me. But I could only come up with one reason to stay in that job, and it was the paycheck. And I really came to this place. Like, it was a jarring realization. It, it was like, this is a moment. You know what I mean? Like, you have these moments in your life, and this was a moment. I just decided that if I stayed in that job, 
only for a paycheck, I decided that I would be a shell of a man. Like, this is a big realization to come to as a 26, 27-year-old kid, right? So here I am, 27 years old now. I've got a wife. I've got a newborn baby and a not-quite-half-baked plan, okay? And I quit. All right, someone later asked me if I knew how hard things would get over the next few years if I'd still have quit. And I told them, I'm glad I didn't know, like seriously. I was perhaps <laughs> overly optimistic regarding my ability to make things happen, okay? But have you ever heard of this idea of failing forward? Like you just keep failing forward, keep trying things that don't quite work and they keep propelling you forward. So I spent a few years failing forward. And, and now, here I am, 30 years old. Okay, a couple of years have passed. I'm 30 now. And I'm running for United States Congress. <laughs> okay, and I went all in cashed out what little retirement savings I had, okay? I, but I was searching for meaning and significance and work that mattered. Like, that's what matters to me, meaning, significance, and work that matters, right? And, like, I'm just like, okay, meaning, significance, work that matters. Hey, like, my retirement savings, that's a small price to pay for those things, all right? So at this point, my life is like a house of cards. And my congressional bid was placed on top of that. And when I lost, it all came crashing down. When I lost, I was broke. All right, there's that word again. <laughs> Just completely broke. But like more than that, I had, like being broke is a bummer, but way worse than being broke is the feeling of having no idea what to do next. Like none. I just did not know what to do next. So my wife and I had two kids at the time. We couldn't pay our mortgage. So we rented out our house and moved into my in-laws garage. I decided at that time I wanted to get out of nonprofit work. I was just burnt out on nonprofits, I was burnt out on raising money, I was burnt out on fundraising, I was burnt out on begging people for money. That's how I really felt at the end of my campaign. So I did some other things, I tried to do some other things anyway, but I would get contacted by an organization who'd ask me to come in and help them with something, right? And my wife and I, we, we needed the money, so I, I couldn't really say no. So. I was going in and training development staff for all these different organizations. And here's where I was at. Like my ego had been stripped away and I felt free. Like I just felt light and I felt free to talk about things I'd struggled with in my career. Um, sure, I'd had some success, but with success comes pressure to continue to perform. And that pressure led me to make some mistakes with my donors, um, stuff I wouldn't talk about in staff meetings in my old job, but stuff I now just felt totally free to admit. 
So I'm going in, I'm talking with these organizations, spending two or three days training their staff how to raise money, how to work with donors, all right, the challenges that come with a fundraising job. And I don't think I'm going to keep doing this. It was just a bridge. Like this was my way out of the nonprofit world. It was like my farewell tour, right? So I go in and then I talk with these groups. And then three months later, they want me back. And six months later, they want me back again. And another group says they heard what I did for such and such group and they want me to come in and do it for them. And remember like, my wife and I, we, we just, we needed the money. Like we were doing other things at this point, um, but we, we needed the money. So I would do it. Like an organization would call and ask me to do something and I'd, I'd go do it. Um, but then something else happened. Like I'm doing this and I just felt alive, right? Like all those years earlier, before the in-laws garage, before I ran for Congress, when I was 27 years old and had the dream job and I confused the heck out of everyone by quitting, I quit because I realized that this idea of success, it was a phantom, right? Like making money or being successful, those things like successful, right? Those things weren't enough for me. I wanted to feel alive. I wanted to do work I was passionate about, work I was born to do, like work that I felt only I could do, right? Like the stuff I was born to do. And I had this feeling that I had something in me that I needed to give the world and I wasn't giving it in that job, right? And for some reason, like I would never be able to do it, not in that job. Like that, that job wasn't where I was born to express this thing that was in me. And quite by accident, in taking these gigs and training organizations how to raise money, I was doing it. And the calls kept coming in and I kept hopping on flights and going to this organization or to that organization. And over time, these groups that I've been working with for a while like they started to see not just marginal improvements in their fundraising, like they were seeing exponential jumps, right? Like not like all along the way, they, they would work with me and they'd see marginal improvements. And that's why they would bring me back because they, they enjoyed the marginal improvements. But over time, the improvements became exponential. And I knew that part of this could be explained just by the way gifts, big gifts in particular are backlog like it takes time for big gifts to develop but the numbers across the board they implied something different so what i realized is that all the stuff i was training on helped like each of the pieces worked but the sum was greater than the parts right the the whole is greater than the sum of its parts like if you take something that works and remove some of the parts it's not as useful as it was, but putting that part back in, the, the thing is whole again, and much more useful than the pile of parts it was before, right? So each of the parts are useful, but put together, all the parts are, are more useful. So I needed to examine my parts, right? And organize them into a system, all right? Like I can give you a part, that part will be useful, 
but each part becomes more valuable when combined with all the parts. The whole is greater than the sum of its parts, right? Does, does that make sense? So this is what I'm discovering, right? One of my favorite lines from the Proverbs is, in his heart a man will plan his course, but the Lord determines his steps. So, uh, or another way of looking at it, I love the Steve Jobs Stanford address. Have you ever watched this? Um, if you never have watched it, just go to YouTube right now, like or after I end this video, go to YouTube and just Google Steve Jobs uh, Stanford address or Stanford commencement address, or you can Google it and read the text. Um, but there's this line in there I, I think about a lot. Um, he says, you can't connect the dots looking forward. You can only connect them looking backwards. So you have to trust that the dots will somehow connect in your future. You have to trust in something. And Steve says, like your gut, destiny, life, karma, whatever. Because believing the dots will connect down the road will give you the confidence to follow your heart even when it leads you off the well-worn path. And that will make all the difference. Man, I've been off the well-worn path. I've spent like years off the well-worn path. But like Steve Jobs could have never known when he dropped out of college and took a calligraphy class, how important that calligraphy class would later be to developing the typography of Macintosh computers, right? I could have never connected my own dots looking forward. But I'm doing work now that matters. I'm doing work I was born to do because I trusted the road was going somewhere. Today, I get to work with organizations to help them raise more money than ever before by having deeper and more meaningful relationships with their donors than they ever dreamed possible. Right, like that's that sentence right there. Okay, like I get to work with organizations to help them raise more money than ever before by having deeper and more meaningful relationships with their donors than they ever dreamed possible. That's what I do, and that's why I do these videos. That's why I do the work that I do. That's what drives me. It's the feeling of being alive, it's the excitement I feel when I'm on the phone with a nonprofit talking with them about their donors, their next steps, their vision, their dream, the feeling of working with people who want to change the world, right? Like working with people who want to make a difference in this world and empowering them to do it. All right, that's it. That's why I'm here. That's what this Facebook Live video is all about, my friends. All right. That's how I got into fundraising. That's why I'm in the living room. All right. If you have other Facebook Live videos you'd like me to do, like me to take on other topics you'd like me to address, shoot me a message. And I'd love to hear from you. Great to see some eyeballs on this video. Hello, Carol. Nice to see you on here. All right. Have a great day.